All right, and here we go. Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcadia Economics on a Thursday afternoon and quite excited. We have a special broadcast today because joining me live to talk about the recent gold rally and rally we've seen on the silver side as well. So certainly some nice conditions heading into the end of the year, which we will dig into. Uh, fortunately, I am joined today by Steve St. Angelo of the SRS Rocco Report, who's also going to update us on some of the energy dynamics that are going on out there, which is a big part of an energy intensive mining industry and often gets overlooked, but it'll be great to get Steve's insight into that and also hear Jorge's perspective on that, obviously, as Jorge Ganoza of Fortuna Silver is on the ground and getting us a lot of these metals that the world needs at a time where the need for a lot of metals is going up quite a bit. So with that said, Steve, great to have you here today. How are you doing? Doing great, Chris and Jorge. It's great to be here. I, uh, been in, I've been following the precious metals since I purchased my first ounce of silver uh, 21 years ago. And so I've been doing this for quite a long time. And I think I think the future of the precious metals and the miners is 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 going to the bright star or, or the, the good times are really ahead of us. And I, I do think the market doesn't quite understand how good the, the future is for the metals and the miners. Well, it's great to have you here and looking forward to digging into some of those things. Been a little while, probably about a year since we've done this, Steve. So yeah, to have you back and Jorge, always a pleasure to have you here with us today. And Nice to see you're back in the home office. I know you've been traveling around the world telling people about the developments that have been going on with Fortuna. And it's really nice the way that th the timing of things have come together as now Seguela is up and running and producing gold. You guys had a great third quarter. And um, now we have a higher gold and silver price as well to join in with all, all that. So welcome back on in, Jorge. And how are you doing, my friend? Uh, Chris, uh, thank you for the opportunity to be here again, and, and Steve, uh, join here with join you with Steve. <clears throat> you know, we uh, we try to to put together a company that can thrive, as I always say, throughout the, the precious metals price cycle. Uh, but certainly, we undoubtedly enjoy. Uh, times like this when we, we start to see strength in the metal. Uh, what we saw the trading on Monday uh, uh, in, in gold as a sign of uh, things to come. No? Yeah. yeah, and perhaps that's a great place to start. Obviously, on Friday of last week, we hit a new record all-time high in gold. Had quite an interesting eventful opening on Sunday night in the Far East where gold price shot even above 2150, did not stay there very long. Although, Steve, perhaps we could start with you. Your thoughts on the recent rally, which I'll pull up the chart. Uh, amazing to imagine, just about two months ago, we were down there in the 1830s, of course, yes. before unfortunate conflict, never a good thing to see in the world, but certainly contributed to the rally, although I don't think that's the entire picture driving the metals at this point. So, Steve, perhaps you could share what you've been looking into and any thoughts on the price increases we've seen in both gold and silver in the last two months? Well, it, it seems as if uh, we haven't seen a lot of uh, metal flow into the ETFs, and that's been uh, either the gold or silver ETFs. That, that tends to have been more of the driver of the price, especially during the, uh, the pandemic shutdown, as well as the Russian-Ukraine war. Uh, but what's changed is we've got a lot of central bank buying uh, of especially gold last year, and they continue to do that this year. So I think they've been putting a, a pretty good bid. And also, uh, gold and silver have been trading the inverse dollar trade. And so we've been seeing that over the last month, month and a half. And so that's what's kind of pushing the gold price up. And then uh, we broke above 2000 and traders look at this when it breaks above 2000 on a monthly basis and it closes above it. That tends to put a spotlight on, on traders and investors. And so then what you get, you get a lot more people moving in because this is a breakout number. 
And so and then we saw in, in uh, early Asian trading how it went to 2130 in a very short period of time. Now, that was short lived. But the interesting thing I've seen when you see these massive spikes and then it comes back down, that the price actually ends up going back up to that number. It takes some time, but typically when you get that spike, it isn't up there for, for any reason. It, it's up there and then the price will retest that. And so I think we're going to revisit that 2130 in the future. But uh, again, with the, with the gold price breaking above 2000 and closing above it at the end of November, this has been a good sign for a lot of traders and investors, even though it's been very volatile. I mean, look, at we're above 2000 and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting time to see gold now above 2000. Yeah, I know what you mean, especially because you have the technical traders out there and they do have certain signals they look for. So seeing that monthly close certainly checks off one of those buckets. Of course, another thing that has factored in is that we've had the market perceive Jerome Powell's latest comments as a bit dovish. And I keep wondering if, if this is the type of reaction we see when he still comes out and says, well, we might have more rate hikes makes you wonder what happens when we finally do get an official pause and now rate cuts, which are being forecast even as early as possibly March. Uh, Steve, any thoughts on the timing of when we might see rate cuts or anything out of the Fed and how that will impact the metals as well? Well, you know, uh, it wasn't uh, Powell that came out with that with that comment. I think it was one of the Fed uh, governors. And so it will be interesting to see if 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 Powell does uh, come through and start lowering rates in, in, in March or April. But even if they do, I, I don't think they're they're going to just drop it as fast as they increased it. They may lower it a little bit. And you see, this is what I mentioned to uh, in my last interview. What's interesting since since uh, Powell has raised interest rates, started February last year, March in 2022, raised at about 5.2%. Janet Yellen, the Secretary of Treasury, has added $3.5 trillion in new debt. So you've got the Treasury and, and, and the Federal Reserve fighting each other because the Federal Reserve is trying to get uh, inflation under control and you raise rates and that's what happens. That's what they try to do. And on the other side, you've got Janet Yellen stimulating the U.S. economy by adding three and a half trillion of new debt treasuries. And so they're kind of fighting each other. And that's the reason why we're not really seeing the markets kind of roll over. And so if they continue to add more debt, and I think they are, uh, I don't know if we'll continue to see lower uh, inflation. We could see even higher inflation. But what one thing I'd like to ask Jorge is, one of the factors that impacts the production of, of gold and silver is the cost of energy. And so it's probably a good sign now that we're seeing oil uh, roll over. It's now it's below 70. So does does how long does a lower energy price start to impact lower costs for Fortuna? Uh, it, that would be interesting to know. Is it does that is it a lag time or does that is it like in a, in a quarter? It'd be interesting to know what these lower gold prices lower energy prices definitely helps the gold mining industry. Yes. <clears throat> and uh, the issue is that sometimes <clears throat> the price uh, does not behave necessarily the same from jurisdiction to jurisdiction because of different factors. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it transfers rather quickly. No? Uh, any change transfers uh, quickly. No? There is no big lag. Uh, I would say that within a quarter, within a couple of months, you're already seeing the, the impact of any any swing. But <clears throat> uh, I would like to add some perspective to something that Steve was sharing with us with respect to the the where is the interest in the metal being coming from? I fully subscribe to what Steve said. It's uh, central banks buying. And I, I would like to share some insight. Uh, in 2008, 2009, 10, 11, you know, uh, you know, uh, I could have endless days of meetings in, in some of the financial centers of the world, you know, call it New York, London, Zurich uh, uh, or whatever, Boston, uh, with generalists, no? with generalist uh, fund managers guys who are not usually in the sector, but then they want to have 5% exposure in their portfolio. And we're talking about guys who manage 
not hundreds of millions, but billions of millions of people, right? Uh, for the past years, uh, we have not seen any of that. It's just been, you know, the dedicated uh, gold funds uh, with reduced pools of money participating in the sector, you know, through some exposure in the metal, some exposure in, in gold, silver, and mining equities. So we've seen uh, a shrinking pool of money uh, coming into, into the precious metal sector. Uh, now, we've seen gold reach $2,000 and, 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 and hover around $1,900 to $2,000 for a while. That's been supported, I, I, I believe, mainly by, by central bank buying. But those large pools of managed money that sit around the world have not been paying attention. Uh, I have been uh, holding meetings with investors over the past uh, 15 days. No, I, 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 we were on a on a marketing trip, engaging with uh, on a communication trip, engaging with our investors, and uh, it's for for the first time that I start to see generalist funds interested in uh, taking meetings. Right. So so to the point we discussed previously. I believe uh, they're they're starting to pay attention, no, and and we're starting to see slowly uh, renewed interest and and with that capital flows. So uh, yeah, no, I think we're at a very interesting uh, junction, absolutely. And Jorge, it's interesting you mentioned that. I've been curious about what sort of reaction you've seen as you've been to a couple of conferences internationally recently, and so you're seeing that. There's more interest in the metals and also the mining stock side at this particular time, especially I know previously uh, in the last couple of months, we've talked about how you've mentioned this might be the lowest sentiment you've seen in the mining space the entire time you've been doing this. So you're mm. you're seeing that shift on both the the commodity and the mining equity side? I, I What's happening today is sends me back to 2000, 2001, 2002. Uh, you know, there was a complete uh, capitulation with the mining equities, right? There was zero interest on, 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 on mining equities. But, you know, correspondingly, silver was trading at $3.50 or $2.80 per ounce. Gold was hovering around $250, $300. So mm -hmm. the underlying commodities, uh, precious metals were, were completely unlocked and therefore mining equities uh, were, uh, you know, uh, completely also out of investors' radars. And uh, today we see a gold trading at nominal heights no, at nominal record levels, and the mining equities lagging behind significantly. And the explanation there is uh, what we just discussed: is you know when central banks purchase gold, they purchase my, perhaps a bit of silver, but certainly not mining equities. No, it's not their mandate. So uh, uh, the price has is being supported by 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 central bank buying. Largely, I, I believe, and uh, we're not seeing those large managed pools of capital uh, seeking exposure to the sector yet. I believe we're at a transition point, and we're starting to see that interest pick up. That's what makes the junction so interesting, because you know, I mean, we're at nominal highs for for the precious metal. Mining equities are lagging. If we see those capital flows start coming in, I think. Uh, uh, things can get go parabolic here, right? Like we saw on Monday, right? Uh, you know, a hundred dollars in the silver in the gold price uh, to Fortuna means around uh, additional 45 50 million dollars of revenue, right? right. So, uh, and that's uh, you know, things being equal at zero cost. So, uh, just a factor of price. So, again, as I say, we at Fortuna, we take a long-term view and, and want to 
run uh, a company that can thrive throughout the precious metals price cycle. But we certainly enjoy moments like this, right? Well, I can imagine, and certainly nice to see this again happening at the time where Seguela is in full production. And Steve, perhaps you could touch on how, given where we are now, some of the energy dynamics that you write and, and speak a lot about in your videos, how that is going to shift things going forward, especially in an era where we're seeing debt loads and deficits get a bit concerning, uh, is one way of putting it mildly. But right. can you walk through how the energy dynamics are going to factor into all of that? Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because this is going to kind of uh, go what off up Jorge said about that we're starting to get some interest in the institutional market. And that's the institutional market. It's kind of like uh, when E.F. Hutton talks, everyone listens. The the institutions, there's a lot of money behind them, a lot, a lot of assets, a lot of uh, flow or funds. And so uh, the the thing is, the, the, the mining industry, the precious metals industry, uh, dealers or the precious metal industry as well as the mining industry is competing with the financial industry and so i put this this, this statistic out last year and this is my guesstimation the the gold mining industry it cost them total cost about 200 billion to provide 232 billion in gold and that's about 116 million ounces these are rough numbers so in one year the, the costs were, were very high to produce that gold. Now, the U.S. Treasury added $2 trillion of new debt and new new treasuries with zero cost. There was some cost, but the only cost they have is a servicing cost, which now it's about $60 billion a year just on that, that extra $2 trillion of, of, of the treasury issuance. So unfortunately, right now, the, the mining industry and the precious metals sector is competing with that because when you can issue $2 trillion in treasuries and it really doesn't cost you anything, that's, that, that's really not a, a good value because it takes a great deal of energy, money, materials, labor, and risk to produce gold and silver. And so I think the issue is going forward, and my analysis is on the energy, is we're going to kind of see a, a, a energy let's say we're hitting a peak of, of overall energy. Well, we can add more energy. It's not oil supply. It's not like what we had in the last 15 years. That's very bad news to all these treasuries and finance that has been added to the system. And when I spoke at the Silver Symposium, I put out a chart starting at 2007, the global financial crisis, and I got three lines. One line is the oil increase in oil consumption. And guess what? There should be about a one-to-one -one increase in oil consumption in the world and GDP. But the GDP increased almost twice as much as the oil consumption in the world. Guess what? The financial assets increased 10 times the amount of the GDP. So what I'm trying to get investors to understand, we just have enough energy to produce the goods and services, the metals, the food, genes, the energy, the cars, the electricity, run our homes. We just have enough energy to do the GDP and to produce all these goods and services that we, we trade on a daily and yearly basis. Unfortunately, we won't have the future energy to settle all that 500 trillion now in financial assets. And so what I think institutional investors and other investors are starting to understand, when the Western central banks like the United States can add three and a half trillion in new debt in a year and a half, that has to be absorbed. Well, we see a lot of the central bank buying is the Eastern central banks. Yes, some banks, central banks like Poland, they're more Western, they're buying gold, but it's mostly the Eastern central banks that are buying gold. And there's a reason for that. And so I think as the next several years start to play out, more institutional investors, more investors are gonna start questioning is the ability to continue adding finance and debt, is that sustainable? And it won't be due to, we don't have that growth of energy to continue adding a lot of economic growth. And so I think this is why I'm trying to educate the investing public, why they need to understand why precious metals are so important, as well as the miners, because they're going to provide the future supply of the metal. And so I think this dynamic 
is totally overlooked by the institutional investor because they think that the next 15 years is going to be the same as it was in 2007. And think about this last figure. In 2007, there was four and a half trillion in U.S. Treasuries outstanding. Now there's 26 trillion. And that was all due to funding our deficits. And so I, I don't think the institutional investors really understand, even though they can get a 5% interest in investing in treasuries, that's going to become more unsustainable in the following years. And they're going to have to protect their wealth into real assets. And unfortunately, if you can increase the treasury supply 21 trillion in 15 years compared to the gold supply value, which is like a 60th, this is where institutions are starting to wake up. Uh, but they don't get these dynamics, but they're starting to realize some of these things aren't making sense. Yeah, and Steve, I know you pointed out that we're just about at that point where we're at peak energy now and getting close to beginning that phase of decline. Obviously, it's an imprecise science, but any sort of timeline of when you see some of these dynamics really the, the market being forced to price these things in and address them? Well, I, I've been the number I put out is 2025. And uh, as I mentioned, that the GDP in the world growth, and there's been several, uh, John Mark Jonkovici did a presentation in front of the OECD back in 2019, large group of uh, leaders in OECD showing there's a direct relationship between oil consumption per capita and GDP growth. Direct relationship. When you have growth in, in oil consumption, you'll have growth in GDP. And so the issue is, my data shows about 2025 is when, if we don't have a huge recession, is when we hit that kind of peak. Now, we could grow some more. The problem is we've hit the Red Queen syndrome. The declines that are coming in the world is too, is, we're running 100 million barrels a day of production. To, to offset that, we lose 10 and 11 million barrels a day every year. And so it's very difficult to maintain that, but we will be in a plateau for a while. But that, you see, the, the issue is that is bad news for the finance. It's not bad news for the metals. It's, it's not bad news for the miners. It's very bad news for the finance because that finance has gone up exponentially. While the gold supply has increased, uh, it's increasing along with the population. The finance has gone way too much. So I think 2025 is, is the time frame we start to get into trouble. And I talked about this and I'll conclude here. Europe hit the problems with natural gas because they're the largest importers of natural gas in the world. They hit already that trouble in 2021, 2022. And so I think the world doesn't really quite understand how these dynamics are going to play out. And that is why I, I'm passionate about letting people to understand the energy problems because without the energy, a lot of the, we, we won't have an economy. And, uh, and so I think 2025 is when we start to get into where we can't really add that much more supply of, of oil. And, and, and that's, that's, that's the factor we're facing. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And Jorge, I'm curious to get your comments on that. Obviously you're, on the front lines, handling these things, seeing it from the mining side, you're also paying for energy and love to get uh, your response. Uh, any thoughts on what Steve mentions there? You know, <clears throat> these things can get quite complex. And, <laughs> yes, uh, they can. And uh, with multiple uh, inputs, uh, uh, but, you know, I think, uh, Overall, we we subscribe to to a concept that uh, you know the the economy is uh, in the U.S. in particular is testing its limits, right? And yes. uh, a, the issue, what's what gives leeway is the fact that uh, the dollar is the currency of the world. Right, and uh, that allows uh, that pro that provides a lot of flexibility to 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 the Fed, and and uh, but if this were happening to any other economy in the world, it would be a disaster, right? Yeah. Uh, so uh, 
no but uh, i think uh, you know medium long term uh, we all believe that uh, the the system is 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 compromised and every day with the way the the debt uh, and the deficit uh, uh, move uh, the, the situation gets more and more complicated uh, from our perspective uh, you know, I, I I don't look that much at physical supply and 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 demand of, of silver and, and and gold. I look at financial demand. What moves the needle here is when people seek uh, the precious metals as a store of value, right? And there is so much money out there that when those dollars uh, seek to be parked on 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 hard assets. Uh, you know, I believe prices can go parabolic. Uh, you know, people sometimes refer to gold as a barbaric relic or whatever. You know, gold has been providing a refuge for, for uh, in light of financial instability, uh, for, for not for hundreds, for thousands of years, right? So, uh, yeah, no, I... I I believe, uh, you know, Fortuna is not looking to expand into copper or, or other metals. Uh, we believe gold still plays a key role in 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 the world of finance, and uh, we we supply the gold that uh, we as society demand. And uh, yeah, and 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 to the point again, we go back to something very basic. Who has been buying gold over the last years? It is the central banks, right? So uh, that's how we see our, our our role. No, we mine with pride and purpose, and 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 we mine the gold that that we as society use to stabilize our economic systems. Yeah, it certainly sets up an interesting set of dynamics, given where we're already at, let alone going forward, and. Another thing that Steve, I think you'd be the one of the perfect people to ask about this. Jorge, you also were in a study recently where you commented on this as well. Obviously, we have the green energy movement, which seemingly requires almost what seems an impossible amount of certain metals. Uh, but Steve, it'd be great to hear your opinion on what your thoughts on the possibility of ever meeting these mandates are. Is that something that even could make a dent in the issue that you're seeing and anything along those lines? Well, the green energy, that, that's, a, that's a conversation for another time. Um, it's, it's becoming problematic. And I, I talk about that on my website, uh, especially with the wind power. But solar seems to be still doing well. It, it's not as complicated as wind. There's not as many, not, not as many problems with wind power as is sold is much better. So I still think we're going to see a ramp up in, in solar production and solar installations in the years ahead. So that's going to take a lot of silver. And so as we know, more than half of the market of consumption of silver is industrial demand. And so a lot of that is gone. And it's not that it's not the case with gold. And so uh, I do think going forward, green energy is still going to be a major demand driver for silver and, and some gold. But I think what Jorge said in his last comment, you see, the issue is when the institutional investor and the retail investor and the 99% of regular investors who are in 401ks and pension plans and IRAs and all that, see, they're not even thinking about gold and silver right now. But when you start getting them into the understanding why they need to be owning these metals, and it all has to do with the issues with, with energy, then you're going to see more interest and it's going to happen quite quickly. I think it's going to happen in, over the next several years. And so I think it's really not about demand from industrial demand for silver, but it won't hurt it. It'll, it'll just make it, it'll just help it along because there's so much demand used in industrial silver consumption. So going forward, green energy will still be a major factor in the consumption of silver. But I think the real de demand driver for the precious metals will be investment demand, especially for gold and, and silver. I, I actually think silver is going to surprise people. There's a lot of gold in the world, 
and th there's just not as much silver as people think. And I think yeah. silver is very undervalued. I, I and uh, you know I, I'll share my my two cents on this one. Uh, I think uh, you know just schematically uh, as the price cycle as a, as a perfect wave, right? And uh, you know. 75, 80% of the time while you're riding the wave of prices. Uh, as a miner, no? I'm talking from the miner's perspective. Uh, if you're a silver producer, 80% of the time, 90% of the time, you wished you had more gold in your revenue no? because gold outperforms silver. Uh, but then there is 10% of the time through the life of the cycle, right? That silver just goes parabolic, right? It gets squeezed, it goes through the roof, and it uh, widely outperforms uh, gold and everything else. Uh, so, from an investor's perspective, uh, from the perspective of someone who can, you know, attempt to to time the market, uh, it's an excellent trade. Uh, from the perspective of a producer who is mining every day, because we mine when prices are low, when prices are average, and when prices are high, we're mining every day. Uh, it's a nice thing to have, a beautiful thing to have, I might add, uh, as a mix with a gold, with the gold, right? Uh, so you know, Fortuna silver mines, silver is in our heritage, but. Uh, but yeah, I, I believe that uh, we are likely getting to a point where silver can go ooh, parabolic, right? Uh, Fortuna, currently about 15, 20% of our revenue comes from silver, and uh, we're supposed to benefit from that. Uh, but yeah, there is a day when, when silver just outperforms every oil asset out there, and uh, we might be coming close to that. Uh, and uh, if, if you allow me, with respect to the, the critical metals for the energy transition and all of that, you know, uh, if we think of copper, right, uh, there is no way, no way in hell that we are as a society going to meet our commitments, the commitments made yeah. by at the Paris Accords and all of that to, you know, uh, bring down temperature by one and a half uh, degrees. There is, is no way we can achieve that. Uh, we're fooling ourselves. Uh, no, and, and uh, uh, people have not done the math, no, and some basic math. The, yes. the, the, the amount of copper, the copper gap that will be created by 2030, which is around the corner, it's about 6 million tons of copper. If we believe that we're going to have that many electric vehicles circulating around the seas, if we believe the commitments of the uh, auto manufacturers, uh, that means that we need 6 million tons of copper. That's the gap. And so that means that we, need, we have to open one and a half world-class copper mines every year. A world-class copper mine produces 400,000 tons of copper uh, annually. No, uh, you know, give and take. That's all. <clears throat> that means that we need to open one and a half mines like that every year. It takes 16 years. You know, from the time you you make a, a discovery, or or from the time you take a resource all the way through first production, at best 16 years. At best. No, we're currently mining deposits that have been sitting there discovered for 30 years. Uh, so uh, there's no way we can meet those commitments. No, and it is the same people uh, who are uh, demanding an energy transition and clean energy who are opposing mines. It's the same right. people. Yeah. Uh, you know, there is a crazy level of hypocrisy in, 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 in what's happening here. And, and we don't realize it. We as a society have to come to terms with, with that, no? Uh, there is no way we can achieve our goals as society 
Uh, if we don't get if we don't get uh, rid of this uh, uh, nonsense, because we just saw what happened in, in Panama with first quantum, uh, one percent of, of world copper demand, uh, sorry, supply is compromised now, right? It's coming offline, uh, and and it is you know I don't know I saw uh, Leonardo DiCaprio protesting against the mine. I'm sure he drives an electric vehicle. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if he's sad to reflect on, on who produces the copper. Uh, you know, uh, this is a figure that most of you guys know probably by now. You know, a, a combustion vehicle demands about 25 kilos of copper. An electric vehicle, three times that amount. Right. So where do you get the copper from? No, I mean, uh, the price incentive for new mines of uh, is first is not there yet so financially the market is telling us we don't believe uh, all of that is going to happen because uh, if you know if, if we believe that the the incentive price for copper would be you know fifteen thousand dollars per ton of copper not not five right uh, or six or seven it would be double or triple that it's not happening. Uh, the incentive price is not there. And then we have the structural limitations to permit, to socialize a project. Uh, these are billion dollar, multi, multi-billion dollar investments, right? Uh, so I don't know. I think that uh, uh, we have to do as a mining industry a much, much better job communicating uh, the the relevance of, of, of what we do uh, and and uh, we're at a critical junction there yeah yeah and Jorge I appreciate you mentioned obviously at a time where we need large amounts of new copper supply we're really seemingly headed in the wrong direction as we see one of the largest copper mines shut down so uh, yeah seems to be a few impediments in some of the Green New Deal targets. With that said, Steve, I uh, wanted to give you a chance. I know you've written about Fortuna, and if you yeah. have some questions that you'd like to discuss with Jorge, uh, obviously, if there's anything else you'd like to touch on in terms of energy or the metals, uh, of course, feel free to do that as well, but also wanted to save some time if there were things you'd like to get answered by Jorge regarding Fortuna. Well, for one of the things when I started getting into the precious metals, I couldn't really figure out how they were being priced because they're bouncing all over the place, all over the place. But then it made sense to me, which the whole market is designed this way. It's, it's the cost of production of all, all the things in the world, what it takes to get them out of the ground, transport them, manufacture them, assemble them or transport them to the store. Hire the store staff, you know, you have to pay for the store rent and all that. And so when you figure what it costs to produce things and what it costs to get them to the market, we see that, you know, I've looked, I've got a 50 year chart of gold. Gold tends to bounce off the cost of production. Uh, and so then it goes up due to a lot of either speculation or demand for various reasons. And so when you, when you understand that, I started looking at the mining industry, especially the precious, the silver miners, to find out what it costs to produce them. Now, this is my analysis. It's different than other analysts, and it's different than the industry. But what's interesting about Fortuna, I've been following them for a while, and in the last, let's say, five to seven years, since 2012, 13, maybe 10 years, the, the, the silver miners have been diversifying into gold mines, and that was a good idea to do it. However, many of them didn't do a really good job diversifying into the gold mines. So when you look at the data objectively, you see that Fortuna did a, a better job than, than its competitors in bringing on its gold mine. And so when you understand, and it all comes down to the data and the numbers, the free cash flow and the profitability. And so that's the reason why it, Fortuna has stuck out to me is because they proved it to when you look at the numbers. And so when you compare uh, Fortuna to the other primary silver miners who have added gold mines, they've just done a better job. And it's not me saying that. I mean, if you can add figures up, 
you, you could see it. And so it was happy to see uh, Segula the Mine uh, it, to come into production, and I st they're still ramping it up. It would it would be interesting to see uh, or hear from Jorge uh, how what what is going to be the tip the annual production of gold for Fortuna. Let's say in the next several years, because I think they've invested the money they, in, in the in the developmental capital, and that's that takes that that takes a lot of capital to do that. And so now they're going to be enjoying that 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 free cash flow, those profits from those mines that they've built up. And so I believe it's over three hundred. It's about three hundred thousand ounces of gold a year, plus or minus. Is, is am I correct, Jorge? Yes, uh, you know, on a gold equivalent basis. No, we are yeah. currently producing around 450,000 ounces of gold annually, right? And when I say gold equivalent, you know, 80% uh, of that uh, is, is gold, 15% is silver. And we have a small byproduct, by, by uh, lead and zinc, coming out of our Peruvian operation that accounts for that other 5%. So we do a bit of alchemy to put everything in, 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 in a gold equivalent, right? Uh, so yeah, around uh, 450,000 ounces of gold annually is the rate of production that we have to today, right now, uh, right? Uh, so yeah, and 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 to, to speak a bit about uh, the the journey of a silver producer, I always say something, and, and perhaps this this adds perspective to 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 the audience. You know, a good silver asset is something you discover. It's seldom really something you can buy. So when you you discover a good silver asset, uh, you 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 know invest on it, bring it into production. And then if it's a silver mine, probably 70, 60, 80% of your revenue is attributable to silver. And the rest is the byproduct, right? From that one mine, because it's primarily a silver deposit. But then as you seek growth uh, and you start looking for other quality silver assets, you eventually find tremendous limitations <laughs> because what's yeah. actionable from the m a perspective, what makes sense, uh, there is certainly more opportunity flow in the in the gold space. That's why you find diverse, you know, multi-asset silver producers really are all of them gold producers, no, with a silver credit. It's only with the very small silver miners, like a one asset company, that you have companies that are highly leveraged to silver, over 60, 70% of revenue attributable to silver. If you find multi-asset companies with bigger production, it's usually, you know, you, you, that's where you see the gold component of revenue growing significantly. And, uh, you know, Pan American silver is just another example of that. Uh, Hecla, Coor mining, uh, you know, silver is, is, is a, a small percentage of, of revenue. And those are traditionally silver companies. Agnico Eagle, you know, decades ago was a, a silver company, right? So, uh, yeah, that's part of the journey. And, you know, it's a difficult business. Uh, you know, everything that can go wrong usually goes wrong. You have to be very disciplined with capital allocation. Uh, try to keep your mistakes small. Uh, you know, we we took a big gamble expanding into West Africa uh, for a company that for, you know, 16, 17 years had been anchored and successful in Latin America. Uh, uh, we decided to to break away from the pack and 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 uh, be a, a a risk risk takers, and uh, I believe it has paid off. Uh, but it's taken two years. No, there were some legitimate concerns on the part of investors uh, if you know Fortuna was going to be able to successfully integrate a West African business. Uh, 
if so, Fortuna was going to be able to not only integrate, but successfully deliver a, a construction in, in a new continent. Um, and I think after two years of hard work, we have proven convincingly that uh, you know the integration was successful. Therefore, the delivery of the new mine has been successful. And we reported in, in the third quarter of the year, uh, our first quarter consolidating financial results from the West African region with the with the, all of the assets there in production, you know, seventy million dollars in free cash flow, a hundred five six million dollars of EBITDA. Uh, we expanded revenue by fifty three percent. No, so I mean it was a, a an ex excellent quarter. Uh, but yeah, I mean, every time you are making an acquisition, you're taking a lot of risk, uh, and uh, particularly in this business, no? Particularly in this business, yeah. And Steve, I know you've been following as they've made that acquisition, which uh, is just about two years ago now, and curious if you have any thoughts on your impression of it from when the deal was announced to where they've come now and anything uh, you've noticed about the process along the way, or perhaps again, would like to ask Corey more about. Well, you know, I, I think the best, um, the, the best information or, or analysis is, is as objective as possible because uh, there's, there's a lot of promotional kind of uh, work being done for the mining industry. And, and so, you know, of course you want to, if you're uh, a junior miner, you want to get people to know about you. But when the thing is, when you look at the numbers, and, and that's what I tend to do, I always I always look at the numbers. And so I, when, when you plot five or six of the primary silver miners, and even though Fortuna now uh, has, has brought on more gold uh, production and gold revenue, they're still kind of in that group. When you when you put them together as a performance basis, they're, they've outperformed the group. Uh, I mean, anybody can do that. You just put it on a chart and you can see that. And so uh, so it, it all comes down to the profitability and, and put, put it, bringing on good minds or making acquisitions. And so I think, you see, I think going forward is going to be the most interesting part because as I mentioned about the issues with energy, and it's not that we, we have to see a big declining energy. We just don't grow much. And there's reasons for that. And, and that really negatively impacts the ability of central banks to print assets. See, that's what they're really doing. When, when U.S. Treasury adds $2 trillion of treasuries, people think that's an asset. And they buy them and they get a 5% interest rate. It's, it's, an, it's a liability to the U.S. government. It's not an asset. When, you, when Fortuna or other companies produce gold and silver, and that gold and silver is held in your hand or at a vault, that's an asset. And the reason why it's a store value has to come down to the massive amount of energy and materials and labor that went into making that. And that is really what is true value in the world. Unfortunately, most investors don't understand this because the global economy is so complex. We don't understand all the different, the supply chain and all the energy it takes to produce these things. And so they don't really consider the two trillion extra of treasuries in the last year, how easy that is to do, but it's not sustainable. And so I think going forward in the future, when Fortuna, other companies are bringing, you know, they're still supplying that gold, the value, I believe, of that gold is going to go up. And the ability for investors, when they start to wake up, that they need to protect wealth, so you you really can't protect wealth in, in, a, in a printed financial asset that goes up very high. It's, it's almost, we can call it, what it, it's a Ponzi scheme. So that's not really a protection of wealth. It is, it, it's an it's a, it's a asset that is, it's an liability that's masquerading as an asset. And so the funny thing is, on the financial world, they call U.S. Treasuries the highest quality collateral. And if you think about it, if you and I went to the bank and we wanted to get a loan for $500,000 and the bank says, okay, what's your collateral? I've got 500,000 in debt. They're going to look at you and they're going to bring everybody from the bank office and laugh at you, but that's the way it's being done 
with U.S. Treasuries. If you own a treasury, which is a debt, you, you can borrow, borrow off that collateral. I say that the real collateral is, is the metals. That's the real collateral. It took a massive amount of energy and, and materials and, and labor capital to produce that. That's where the real value is. Investors don't understand that. And so I think going forward, as Fortuna has brought on these, these uh, good quality mines, they're making good cash flow. I think the, uh, the real bright spot is going to be in the future. And so this is what I'm trying to get investors to understand. And I do think in the future, when Jorge goes around, he'll see not only will institutions or other investors start having more interest, they're going to start making that change in investment. And we only talk about a two to 5%. That's all the, all institutions need to do to transition out of some of this finance, two to 5% into metals, physical, or in miners. And we're talking about, as Jorge said, we're talking about parabolic moves because there aren't that many uh, uh, primary silver miners or small miners. There aren't that many mining companies. And so I think this is the, this is the most overlooked aspect by the investing. I'm not talking about the 1% who buys metal and invest in mines. I'm talking about the 99%. And so I think this is where I focus most of my research is waking up the 99%. And unfortunately, only a few percentage are going to be able to access these values before they start to take off. That's how I see it happening in the years ahead. Yeah, I know what you mean. I saw a slide yesterday. I believe it was 70% of financial advisors are between zero and 1% allocation to metals. It was None. a very small figure. And, you know, again, this isn't just people in the gold and silver community saying this anymore. We've seen, we've talked about the central banks. We see a list of nations that are actively making ways to not use dollar financing and of course, a year or so ago, we saw Russia invoke a temporary peg to their currency. So uh, obviously, we don't know exactly what they'll do going forward, although it seems like they're headed in that direction. So will be interesting to see how the world responds to that. Uh, Jorge, one well, Chris, quick one more, th what, okay. one more thing before you go to Jorge. Uh, the reason why investors are moving into a lot of this finance and treasuries, um, money market accounts, is because they're getting a yield. You, you can't get that yield by owning gold. Matter of fact, you pay to store gold and insure gold, which you should because it, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a very valuable asset. So right now, the reason why we're seeing a lot of interest in these financial assets is because they've been lowered due to the higher interest rates. But the, the, these central banks cannot afford to pay that high interest rate. Right now, yeah. as of the November, I think the third or fourth largest expenditure for the U.S. government is now interest expense. It's right above or below military spending. And so this is not sustainable. And so I think, as I've said before, and I'll, I'll conclude here, the mining industry and the precious metals industry is competing with central banks and financial institutions that can print assets. And that, if that is something the market doesn't quite understand, that's not sustainable. And it all comes down to the energy. So I, we're just in the beginning stages of what I call a major bull market in the, in the, in the metals and the miners. And this is not like a, a blow off. People think, well, Steve, when it blows off, when are you going to sell? No, because the energy doesn't get better and better as time goes on. It, it becomes more problematic. And that makes the finance become more problematic. It, it never gets better. And so it just, even though you can have spikes and, and, and cycles, ups and down in the metals, I think they get stronger and stronger as years go by. And, and that's a whole different scenario that the market is, does not understand. I hear you. And it's going to be fascinating to see when there is wider mainstream acceptance of the metals, how money piles into some asset classes that are relatively small to what's out there. So um, Jorge, I had one last question for you, and then uh, I'll Steve, if you had any further questions for him, you can take it from there before we wrap up. But um, in terms of the process of ramping up at Seguela, I was talking with Carlos the other day, and he reminded me of something that was interesting in the sense that you were doing that in the middle of the supply chain issues, and that was going on through when conflict in Ukraine began. 
Um, so two quick questions. A, if anything, you could comment on how you were able to navigate that. And then also, since we were talking about energy, you guys have been building a solar grid at Seguela as well. So perhaps you could touch on those two. Yes. Uh, you know, we closed the acquisition of, of Roxgold in July of 2021. And uh, the construction team was ready to launch into, into construction, right? Uh, we had a feasibility study and a, and a construction plan by the time the acquisition closed. Uh, but we decided to take a pause uh, and, and, and re-baseline our estimates. Even though the feasibility study was concluded only, you know, uh, six months ago, no, six, six months previous, we decided to re-baseline the project. So we, talk, we took from July until September to uh, carry a, a work and, and, uh, and, and understand what, what were the real risks around the inflation and supply chain. Through that process, we advanced an $11 million budget to help secure key equipment packages, right? So even before the construction decision was made, we were already putting money to work uh, and securing key equipment packages. So we were securing price and delivery time, right? Uh, by the time September came and we put uh, we made public or construction decision. By that time, we had increased the capex in the project by $24 million. So it's not like the, the project was not impacted by inflation, but we did, we were able to successfully capture the inflation in our budgets and in our financial plans. We were not caught off guard or, or by surprise. We, we were able to do good estimates and plan for them. Right, and 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 again the same with uh, supply chain. Right, uh, uh, by placing those uh, early works orders on on key equipment packages, uh, we were able to largely de-risk the the implications on for the timeline. No, it's different when you made a construction decision, and subsequent to that you start placing orders then when you have already placed some orders and when you have the certainty and visibility on delivery time and and and, uh, and pricing, you made a construction decision. So it's completely two different risk scenarios, right? Uh, so, you know, that comes out of our experience through several builds and that's what we implemented here. And that's what worked successfully for us. No, So I think we put all of our collective experience here as a group to work and and and, uh, and yeah, so it was good planning. Uh, having the financial flexibility to put some of that uh, money to work early to de-risk the timeline and budget of the project. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that's with respect to the first question. The second one had to do with some of our uh, energy efficiency initiatives. Uh, we currently have two solar plants in our, in our uh, budgets. Uh, one is in our 2024-2025 budget, and the other one is in our 2025-2026 budget. So we are gonna start generating uh, solar power at our Lindero mine in Argentina and at our Seguela mine in uh, the Ivory Coast. These are our mines with the longest life of reserves. Uh, and uh, yeah, we're moving ahead with those projects. And that's also part, those projects are, are an important part of our commitment to uh, uh, emission reductions. Right? Okay, well, well done in a particularly challenging time. And again, it's nice to see that you're getting the benefits of all of that now, especially as the plant is up and running. And I know you had a realized gold price of 1925 in the third quarter. It'll be exciting, especially if we stay over 2000 for the rest of the month of December. Should be fun to see how the numbers come out for the fourth quarter. So, congratulations on everything that's been going on there. And 
Steve, did you have any final thoughts or questions that you wanted to run by Jorge or just anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up today? No, I, I do appreciate being a part of this because, as I said in the beginning, uh, the it, it takes a great deal uh, of effort, energy, materials, labor. I mean, the people that work in these mines, they, 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 it, it takes a lot of effort and work, concentration, and, and risk and capital to, to produce the metals. And it's so simple because when you're a precious metal investor, you just call up your dealer and, and you know, in, in, in three, four days, it's you've got the silver or gold, you know, in, in your front door. But what it took to get it there, it, no one really, I call it the Amazon Star Trek or Star Trek economy. You push a button on Amazon and two days later, poof, it's, it's on your front door. And unfortunately, a lot of people just don't realize what it takes to do that. And so I, I think going forward, we're moving to a world that building wealth is going to become difficult. So you're going, we're going to transition to protecting it. And that is a guarantee. And it's the timing of that. I think that's maybe a few years away where we start hitting that. And it's very difficult to protect wealth in assets like financial assets that can be printed, especially treasuries or bonds or, or bonds or gilts, whatever the, the, the different name or the different uh, flavor of, of bond is out there. And so the world is going to get back to realize what's, what's really value is, is the tremendous inputs it takes to produce gold and silver and things uh, like anything else. And so I think the world is going to re-educate themselves to what is really value. And so we'll, we'll see this transition of protecting wealth. And as the institutions and investors start transitioning into that, there's not that many mining companies to go around. There's not that many well run mining companies to go around and there's not a lot of precious metals and so compared to the 500 trillion in financial assets so i think i think this is a good time even though it's been very troubling and challenging for the mining industry even the ones that are having difficulty uh, remaining profitable uh, i think there's very good the years are going to be very profitable for a lot of these mines and the ones that are doing a great job are going to see that they're going to be rewarded by investors seeking them seeking them out over the others because that's where the future metal is coming from and i i think precious metal investors need to understand they should be supportive of the mining industry because that's where they're going to get their future supply of metal so i just wanted to say that and thank jorge for the hard work that he and and, and the folks at fortuna do to produce the metals that we all consume and we all rely upon in the future and uh, just to, to complement that thought of about the, the energy that has to go into, into the production of these precious metals, uh, sometimes people don't reflect on the fact that, uh, you know, if, if we mine, uh, uh, you know, or Lindero mine has an average gold grade of about 0 0.6, 0 0.7 grams of gold per ton. At uh, the new mine, Seguela, we're currently mining around three grams per ton. What does that mean? That means that within a, a million grams, because that's what a ton is, one million grams, we have to identify, move, and extract three grams, or in the case of Lindero, for example, 0 0.6, 0 0.7 grams, out of a million grams. No. Right. That's what makes gold precious. <laughs> uh, out of 1 million grams, we extract 0 0.5 of a gram or 2 grams. Uh, right. And that's all the energy that Steve refers to that needs to go into that effort. And that's what makes gold precious, right? Uh, yeah. I totally agree with that. that, that that's exactly... and and. And it's 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 very easy to print treasuries because there isn't that energy that it takes to produce a treasury and sell it. There is some there is some marketing or some cost of it, but it's mostly service. But again, that's the, the investors needs to understand that is the real value. It is the energy and all the, the materials, labor and, and management and, and risk that it takes to produce. That's where the real value is. And investors are going to be re-educated to that in the future. So thank you for sharing that. And I, I totally agree. I, I look at the numbers. It's, it's obnoxious, the amount of energy that has to be consumed to produce gold. Silver, of course, with the higher grades, 
much less energy, right? Is much less energy to pull that silver out. But yeah, that's what makes gold so valuable. It's all about that energy, yeah. Yeah, and Jorge, that was certainly one of the things that stood out when we were at the Seguela mine earlier this summer. And of course, also just seeing the sheer bulk of the equipment and how much energy it takes to run that. So well said. And with that, we're going to start wrapping up here. But Steve, I wanted to thank you for joining us today and just let people know that they can find your research where not only do you dig into the energy, but also the metals and the miners at the srsrockoreport.com, which link to that is in the description field below. And it's really nice to have you dig into some of these things along with someone from the mining side. So Steve, thank you for being here today. It's great to see you as always. Yeah, and, and thank you for, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you just broke up, but no, I do appreciate being a part of this because I, I want to get more more education to why it's important to own the metals and the miners. And I, I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I do appreciate it. And I, I, hopefully we could do this again in the future. Well, I will certainly look forward to that and might add that I am a subscriber to the SRS Rocker. Yes, yes, you are. Videos and articles you make and a lot of information you pack in there. And it, it's certainly helpful just to be going through some of these concepts time and time again. And really letting it sink in. So thank you for what you do there. And Jorge of Fortuna Silver at FortunaSilver.com. Thank you as always for everything you do in terms of sharing your insight and also helping us to continue to get some of these metals to the markets in times that are not always the easiest, but great to see you as always here today, Jorge. And uh, thank you for joining us. Great to be here and, uh, you know, thanks for the opportunity to share here with uh, Steve and, and yourself. Well, appreciate that as well as everyone who is out there watching today. Thank you for joining us and hope you enjoyed this, found it helpful. Hopefully we had a few jokes in there to make you smile as well. <laughs> and that said, we're going to wrap up, but everybody, thank you and have a great afternoon. Thank you. And we 